0: You know, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So my goal for you today is when you walk out those doors today, I want you to be determined, I'm going to live every day the rest of my life in a spirit of joy. You want to be joyful? You become a more generous person as you mature in the Christian life. You'll find it's more blessed to give than to receive. Welcome
1: to the next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood. Presented by Green Remedy. Our guest this week is Bob Russell. Bob Russell took over as the head pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky at the age of 22, and through his 40 years of ministry there, he grew it to over 25,000 members. Bob now mentors preachers from around the country, has authored a dozen books, preaches around the country, has a blog, and films Bible study lessons. Far from letting the gas off the pedal in retirement, which is which is something I'm learning to do now. Bob has incredible takes in this podcast on leadership, building a business or church, time management, the value of focusing and not multitasking, and much more. Enjoy. Today's show is brought to you by our title sponsor, Green Remedy. Green Remedy is a company based out of Louisville that I have grown to love. I use their full-spectrum CBD oil products to help with pain, anxiety, and sleep. I've loved using this product, and I love how clean their product is. I have seen the raw materials from the farm, and I was walked through the entire process. I am passionate about getting people off medications, and using a 100% all-natural product like this is so much better for you than pumping pills all day, anti-inflammatories, and stuff that I had to do throughout my career to get by, and now that I'm done, I'm not pain-free, but this CBD oil has helped dramatically and get me off of all those anti-inflammatories and painkillers that that are so bad for you. Go to greenremedy.com and use code EWOOD70 at checkout to get 10% off your order, and use the auto-ship feature so that you can stay consistent because you will love the results. Again, that's greenremedy.com, code EWOOD70. Today we are recording at Southeast Christian Church here in Louisville, Kentucky with the man who built this place from the ground up. We are here with Bob Russell today. Thank you for being on the show, Bob.
0: Well, I'm glad to be here, Eric, and I'm excited about uh, this next chapter in your life and to see that uh, you're really making a contribution already after football. I appreciate that.
1: Let's start off like we do with most guests. Tell us about where you grew up, sports you played, and how you first got into ministry.
0: Well, I had a, a wonderful upbringing. I, I grew up in Northwestern Pennsylvania, not too far from Erie, Pennsylvania, and went to a very small school. And uh, you know, if you go to a small school, if you can stand up, you get to play different sports. <laughs> so I was one of those guys that went from baseball in the summer to football in the fall to basketball and then volleyball. And just I, I lived for sports. And then I got to be a teenager who lived for sports and girls. Right. But, uh, I, I grew up. Probably better at basketball than I was uh, almost anything. Uh, But I also had parents who uh, went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. We went to a very small church, about 50 people. And my mother kind of wanted me to be a preacher. But I didn't want to be a preacher because uh, I, I was terrified to read in public. I was terrified to speak in public in school. And so I knew that wasn't for me. Uh But we had a really, really good basketball team, my freshman year we we won everything that weren't were undefeated, so we would always say when we get to be seniors we 're going to win the state championship right. So we get in the state tournament my senior year and in a state tournament game, we're fourteen points ahead in the last quarter and fell apart oh. and the other team banked in a shot at the buzzer, we go into overtime, and we lose. And my life goal was over at 17 years of age. I I can't tell you how devastated that left me. I had an older sister who was going to Bible college in Cincinnati, about seven hours away. And she heard I was depressed and invited me to come down and visit her at school. And I went and I had a great visit. I remember walking away after four days thinking, well, that's a great school. It's too bad that I don't want to be a preacher. That's not where I want to go. About two weeks later, my dad drove me to a college called Clarion College in Pennsylvania, and the coach had expressed some interest in me coming and playing basketball there. And everything went wrong on that visit. I mean, I didn't—I hated their gym. I—I uh, I, I saw all the partying going on, and i, I wondered, would I? How am I going to react to all that? And I'm, I just couldn't see myself in that school. On the way home, it suddenly hit me, and I turned to my dad, and I said, Dad, I'm not supposed to go to Clarion to play basketball. I'm supposed to go to Cincinnati Bible College and study for ministry. And I never looked back. And uh, I went in the fall, and uh, within three months, I met the girl who was going to be my wife. We started dating, and uh, everything fell into place. And when I went into ministry, Eric, I thought I would— be living off other people's gardens. My view of ministry was I would go back to Erie, Pennsylvania and start a church and maybe build it up to be 200 people. And if if you would have told me that I would be the preacher of a mega church in Louisville, Kentucky someday, that's the furthest thing from my mind. But one of my theme verses is uh, in Ephesians the third chapter where it says God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine mm-hmm. according to his power that is at work in us. And that's my life. I, I, God did a whole lot more than I ever anticipated. But that's how I got started.
1: That's incredible. I, I often feel the same way. I, when I was in high school, me and my buddies used to joke, when I first got my scholarship to Louisville, so I had one scholarship, got really? it after my senior year, I was playing basketball. So not even during football season, I get offered even after the season. You know, most guys commit their junior years. Well, I get my my scholarship, and me and my buddies would say, Eric, do you realize that you have a shot to maybe be on the Bengals practice squad one day and you can make 90 grand, (laughs) and then you can go get another job? Because, you know, in our minds, if you're only on the practice squad, you only got to work a few days a week, and you uh, truly ignorant thinking based upon how many hours those guys truly work. But that's where I thought I was going. And then just got unbelievable opportunities one after the other and it ended up working out but but I love that verse and I honestly feel the same way about my life
0: you know you hear people say I've got all these regrets I had these dreams and I never achieved them and it's the opposite for me right I, I so much more happened than I ever anticipated and evidently it's the same with you you never envisioned uh playing the pro Bowl someday <laughs> no
1: absolutely not and um and I think early on in my college career, when I got some early success, it became a little clearer that maybe I had a shot at playing at the, the next level. And then even heading into the NFL, there were times where I felt, you know, maybe I don't belong in this field or maybe I'm not one of the top guys. And, and that self-doubt, um, I didn't let it ever consume me, more fuel me. And And I think it's always healthy to have some sense of humility where, you know you feel like you need to keep striving to be where you're at or to to earn your position i never
0: forgot how terrified i was to read in public when i when i was a, a boy and when i'm preparing a sermon and going to stand up in front of thousands of people uh, i'm i'm still thinking i better be ready or i could i could get that same terrified feeling again
1: yeah I, i've felt that in my own sense with public speaking or or even recording a podcast man i really need to prepare and the the more prepared I get, the more excited I get. The less prepared I get, the more anxious mm-hmm. I get. And that's that's a lesson I've learned throughout the years. But going back to your career path in ministry, what was your very first job in ministry?
0: When I was in Bible college, I took a weekend position as a youth minister. I was a minister to senior high young people. And I did that for about two years, long enough to know I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. And then I took a weekend church just outside Cincinnati, I would go out on the weekends and preach to this little church of seventy people. When I graduated a year later, I said to this country church, I don't want to be a bivocational preacher. Would you consider hiring me full time? And for a hundred years they'd been a weekend church. Well, they had a two hour elders meeting and they finally decided that they would hire me full time. They were giving me fifty dollars A week to come out on Sunday. And if I would come full time, they would give me $70. (laughs) I was worth $20 those other six days. (laughs) But that was my beginning. And it was an ideal place to begin because they weren't accustomed to having a preacher on the field. So every week I had a lot of uh, private time and time to study without a lot of people interrupting me. And I established a, a schedule in that first year of ministry that went Stayed with me really the rest of my life. Is that the schedule
1: that I've heard about, the 7 a.m. to noon studying and writing time?
0: Exactly. Well, my first Sunday at this little country church, or my first Monday, the, uh, my wife left for work at 7.30. And I sat at the breakfast table. Nobody's going to phone me. There's no office at the church. Nobody's going to stop by. And I thought, what am I going to do with my time? And I thought, you know, I may be establishing a pattern here that'll stay with me the rest of my life. I better be disciplined at this point. And so we had a little room we called the study. And I said, if if I'm not in that room by eight o'clock in the morning, I'm late. And so from eight o'clock until noon, which is my alert time during the day, I wrote a sermon without any interruption. Now, when I was in Bible college, I could write a sermon in four or five hours. Maybe three hours if the chapel speaker had been real good that week. (laughs) But uh, so I I worked for two days on a sermon and then by Tuesday noon I had it finished. I thought, what am I going to do now? I think I'm going to read some more commentaries. I'm going to write out this introduction. I'm going to read this out loud. And I got so I was putting 20 hours a week in a sermon and I could see my the response of people was starting to pick up. I was doing better. And there's, there's, there's something about effort that results, that produces results. So when I came to Southeast a year later, I was 22 years old, but I had that habit. And boy, there's all kinds of people at church, all kinds of interruptions, all kinds of phone calls. But I told the secretary, look, I'm going to study from when you get in here. I'm already in here from eight to noon and no interruptions unless it's emergency. And that stayed with me the rest of my life. That was my priority in, in ministry.
1: Man, I I just did um, a research project recently that someone challenged me with on multitasking and how dangerous that can be. And I love that you carved out that time and and truly got to put a lot of creative energy and a lot of time and effort into it. And and I love the point that you made about how many hours it would take to prepare for a sermon. And then you preach them throughout the weekends. And Mm -hmm. and we'll get into this later, but there's so many duties of a head pastor, and, and a lot of people think, similar to an NFL player, you see us play a game on Sunday and think, man, they make all this money and they just play Show on Sunday. one Sundays. day a week. Is that something that you've, con- that, that you've always had to kind of be aware of or, or just know that other people were going to think that about a pastor and not truly understand everything that well, goes I, into it? First of all, it? all,
0: I just laugh at it. They'll say, all you do is work one day a week. I said, not only that, it's just about two hours. Right. <laughs> yeah. but, it, but you mentioned something that I I do – now mentoring groups for preachers, and talk about multitasking. One of the things, it's not a priority with you if you don't make it a priority in your schedule. Right. I can talk to a lot of preachers and they'll say, oh, my priority is preaching, but they're, they're squeezing in time around other things. And if you don't carve out and say, this is the time every day or every week when I do my... What is the priority in my life? It's really not a priority. Then I say, when you go into your study, don't check mail, don't check. Your text messages. Don't check the stack of letters that have been left for you. You spend that time focused on what is your priority. And whatever you do, don't put your phone down beside you because when that thing lights up with a text message, you're going to respond to it. It distracts you. And I think social media really uh, takes the focus uh, in, in, off of what we're doing. And I say, turn the thing off, put it in your pocket, be focused. Those three or four hours on on what is the priority in your life. Yeah, and
1: that's that's something I need to improve on in my life, especially heading into a really busy season of life, and and that's why a mentor friend of mine challenged me with that because he knows that I'm constantly attached to my phone, probably by the way I can quickly respond to him anytime he wants. He knows that I'm too available and and too much on my phone, and I've noticed even myself – as soon as I start posting anything on social media, well, man, now I want to pick it up and now I want to look at it. Well, then that's just constantly killing your thought trains throughout the day and it's mentally fatiguing you and something that, you know, I, I'm striving to get better at in my life. And, you know, these cell phone things are relatively new and um, I, I, I just can feel it when it's pulling away from my family or my thoughts or pulling my energy down and I just got to be very careful you, you with You
0: answer it. a text. And you say, oh, that does take me a second. I do it right now. And then you get back to what you're focused on. And then they come back with a second question. Well, oh, I can answer that. This is a yes or no. But you do that three or four times and pretty soon you're you're distracted and, and you're losing your own focus. For sure.
1: For sure. Let's get back to the journey, your uh, ministry journey. So you take over at Southeast as the head pastor at 22 years old, correct? Correct. and and you're there for 40 years, and build a church of 180 members to, at one time, I believe when you left, it was 25,000 members. Absolutely incredible, and and it's a testament to, um, you know, who you are as a man, and that that people would want to follow, and a lot of decisions over the years that, you know, great hires, obviously, you couldn't do it alone, and you can speak on some of that, but Talk to me about that journey a little bit and, and some of the highs and some of the lows of that, that 40 years of just extreme growth and, and extreme impact on this community.
0: Well, somebody said, one of my favorite sayings is, whenever you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. <laughs> and when I see some things happen in my ministry, I, I, I know i got to give the Lord credit for what happened, but I probably learn more from mistakes and uh errors that I made that I did from things that I did right. You talk about great hires. Our first hire was a disaster. Mm. We grew from 100 people to 250 people. And we said, you know, we need a youth minister. And I said, I've got just the guy. He's a friend of mine from Bible college. He's a year older than I. And he's got a youth ministry in Georgia. And he's having some trouble. I think he's movable. Well, those ought to be three strikes against him. Friend. Right. Older and ministry not going well. But we brought him on, he interviewed really well, he's a fun guy, but he wasn't here for very long before I discovered that his whole philosophy of youth ministry was not my philosophy of youth ministry. But I I, I was kind of naive at that point. I'm one of these guys believe if you just let a problem alone it'll eventually resolve itself, and I was not a confronter. And so I just kept hoping it would get better and tiptoe around some of the issues. And we had a lot of fun for a while, but pretty soon the elders began to say, this youth ministry is not going well. We may have to ask this guy to resign. I said, oh, no, don't ask him to resign. It'll get better. <laughs> it never got better. And one day I read an article that he had prepared for our church newsletter in which he was promoting a teen all-nighter, some kind of bowling all-nighter or something, and he was going to call it, the title of it was A Teenage Love In." Oh, gosh. <laughs> and you know how it is. Sometimes <laughs> something triggers and finally it's a straw that breaks the camel's back. And I mustered up enough courage that I marched into his office and I said, look, I think you need to get another title for this activity. He had sensed the distancing in our relationship and he dug his heels in. and He said, I think I know teenagers. That's what we're going to call it. Now I've got insubordination. Mm-hmm. So I dump months of anger and issues all at once. Too much, too late. And finally, I march out of the room and say, don't you realize this is the kind of thing that gets you fired? And Which is really Leadership 101. Right. So he asked to be on the agenda of our next elders meeting, and he told the board, I think Bob Russell's trying to get me fired. And these guys said, that's interesting. We've been trying to get you fired for six months. (laughs) That's fine. We think you need to leave. He said, I'm not leaving. Uh, that's not what's best for this church. That's not what's best for these kids. I'm not leaving. He stormed out. And he s- sent a letter to all the members of the church saying, I've had a disagreement with Bob Russell and the elders. They've asked me to resign. I don't think that's what you want me to do. I'm not going to burden you with uh, all the problems, but I'll be standing outside church this next Sunday. I've got a 10-page document showing you the problem. And next Sunday, he and his wife stood outside church, <laughs> passing out this 10-page document, putting us in the worst possible light, wow. you know, misquoting us. And that was my baptism of fire in ministry. I mean, he, he 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 held a Sunday school class in his home for several weeks, and his 20 people would march to church and sit in the first two or three pews, folding their arms and scowling at me when I preached. You know, people look at a great church sometimes and think you don't have problems. Every organization has problems right and whether you make it or not is not determined by whether you are have no problems but how do you handle problems and it just so happened eric while that was going on a church from cincinnati in the bridgetown area of cincinnati called me and said our preacher has retired we want to hire you so i went to our elders i said hey i got a chance to go i know i'm at the center of this controversy if you think it's best for this church for me to leave i'll leave and they said no to the person, all seven of our elders, lay leaders, said, we want you to stay. We're going to work through this problem. I came home well, like two nights later, and there was my first ever color television set sitting in our family room. There was a little note on it that said, uh, this is a gift from the elders. Uh, we're not trying to bribe you, but we want you to know we love <laughs> you. We, we hope you stay. So they, they bribed me into staying. And I worked through that problem, but it, I became, at that point, a different leader. I learned the value of confronting that uh, if you've got problems, I used to have a friend who say, if you've got problems, you've got to decide whether you've got measles or whether you've got a malignancy. If it's a, meas- a measles, just wait, it'll go away. But if it's a malignancy, the sooner you confront it and get taken care of, the better. Right. And it's a job of the leader to be perceptive enough to say, am I just reacting about some selfish thing or some ego problem of my own, or is this a problem that's going to affect everybody? And, but I became a confronter, and if something bothered me, I'd sit down and, and get it right. Somebody said, uh, keep your accounts current. Don't let things build up. And I'd let things build up. So at that stage, at probably 28 years of age, uh, I learned from that mistake to be a, 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 conf- a leader who would confront issues and not uh, let them build up.
1: Yeah, that's incredible and that's an incredible lesson in itself. Had you taken that Bridgetown job, you might have affected my life even earlier. But selfishly I'm I'm very glad that uh you you uh built this church and, and what an impact it's had on my life and everybody that I've met from here because of it, but I, I grew up off Bridgetown Road in Cincinnati. Oh, did you really? So the co- Bridgetown
0: is on Race Road. Remember where Race Road was? Yep. And
1: the, you know. yep. My uh my mom lived in an apartment almost at the corner of Race and Bridgetown. So I know exactly uh, where you are. Yeah, I would have been I would have been right there. So after a forty year journey, you step down and, and make way for Dave Stone to, to come in. How tough was it to step down, knowing that you still had a lot left in the tank, and I say that At the time, I was attending church here, and I knew it, and then I've seen you speak since, and I've heard you on podcasts that you've done from sermons around the country, and and I know you could still do it. You could still be leading this church. How tough was it to to step aside at that time?
0: You know, surprisingly, by the time I got to the passing of the baton, it wasn't nearly as hard as I thought it would be, maybe for a couple of reasons. Somebody said, uh, something's not... It's not so hard to let go of something if you remember it wasn't yours in the first place. And I I never felt this is my church. This This is the Lord's church. But I picked out a date probably five or six years in advance. And I said, when I get to 2006, I will have been at Southeast for 40 years. The children of Israel put up with Moses for 40 years. That's long enough for these people to put up with me. And I wanted to have another chapter in my life where I could do some other things. Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, I'm going to be 62 years old, and I, I would like to have uh, some time to mentor some younger preachers. I'd like to have some time to travel and speak and to get out from under the pressure that I was experiencing. So when that day came, uh, I stayed the, till the last person came up and said goodbye At uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I walked to the car with my wife. We looked at each other and exchanged high fives, and I drove off. I had a a professor in Bible college who said something I never forgot. He said he he looked at his life in terms of chapters. He said, my first chapter was education. My second chapter, I was a preacher. My third chapter, I'm a professor. My next chapter, I'm going to be a writer. He said... Now it's okay to go back and review yesterday's chapter, but don't live in yesterday's chapter. Mm. And there comes a time when you say that was a good chapter or that was a bad chapter, but you 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 close that, and I can go back and review it. I I love coming back to Southeast Christian Church, but I mean I I changed uh, I changed vision at that point. Uh, I, I I also had a younger guy Dave Stone on staff who was capable of doing it. And if I had stayed another six, eight years, I would have lost Dave Stone Mm -hmm. because he wasn't going to sit around and it wasn't fair to him to ask him to sit around and wait. So I just felt the timing was right, and we'd really uh, calculated this and prayed about it. And when the time came, it was a lot easier than I anticipated.
1: That's neat. And I love your point that you made on the next chapter. And I think that's where a lot of guys – coming from professional sports, coming from the NFL, get in trouble because you try and emulate what you had in the NFL. You know, people always say, well, I missed the locker room. I want to emulate that in a different way. So I, I got to get in this occupation because then I'll be around the guys again and I'll build a community. Just accept that chapter for what it That's was great. and then move yes. on. And someone said that to me recently, and it made a lot of sense, a man by the name of Trace Armstrong who's, who's now who took a very long NFL career into now he's – probably the top um, coaching agent in the NFL and that's his next chapter and uh, he said just, just find out something you want to do and just go after it and try it and if it doesn't work figure it out but, but that was a chapter of your life, appreciate it get together with the guys and tell stories about it but don't live in it, don't try to recreate it because you can't.
0: Two weeks ago I was asked to go to a place in Missouri because the preacher after 37 years was uh, retiring and he told me He said, I have had a a, a recurring nightmare that I'm falling and I have nothing to grab onto. And I said, well, how would a psychologist interpret that nightmare? He said, it's easy. He said, my whole life is wrapped up in this church and I'm I'm leaving this weekend and I've got nothing to hold onto. But I think whenever you're going to make a transition, you better transition to something and Mm -hmm. not just from something. And one of the things that made it easy for me is I say, okay, here are my goals when I get out there. I want to do these Bible studies for small groups. I want to do this uh, blog and some things I was looking forward to doing. And I, I think it's a lot easier to make a transition when you say, okay, I've got something to go to. But also I, I would remember there are times when being in the limelight is fun and it's an ego boost, but there are times it's a drag. you know? Right. And you would know that from... When you out to eat in Buffalo, people come in, You can't go to a restaurant without. And every once in a while after I retired, I, I, I don't get the same amount of attention. I'll go back and review yesterday's chapter. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? I had enough of that. That wasn't all that much fun. <laughs> for
1: sure. And, and, and transitioning to something is so valuable. And that was one of the hard parts about the last year for me was because I just wasn't ready. It caught me so far off guard because I had just signed a contract extension, me and my wife. You know, we owned a house in Buffalo, and I had had just signed that contract, and I thought, you know, if I can make it these next three years, God willing, in the NFL, at that point maybe I can have something set up for my next Mm -hmm. chapter occupation-wise or whatever it may be. Uh, But it just caught me off guard. But now that this fall and I'm getting into the broadcasting and I have something to transition to, there's a lot more peace internally for me.
0: Um, well, I think your situation was tougher because it, it, it came so abruptly, as you're right. talking about. You had anticip- didn't anticipate an injury, and you didn't have the time to prepare, and I think that's a tougher transition.
1: For sure. Um, you recently wrote a book titled, After 50 Years of Ministry, Seven Things I Would Do Differently and Seven Things I Would Do the Same. If you had to choose one of each to share with the listeners and, and kind of preview that book, uh, what would you give us?
0: One of the things I do the same is uh, I would I would preach the Bible. I just think there's tremendous power in the teaching of the word of God. And when people come to church, they want to hear the Bible and they want to learn the Bible. And it was amazing to me how people uh, would would say, you know, I came to church and I was struggling with a problem and I, could, I couldn't get over it. you preached on that very subject. And it makes me feel real good too. I look back at what I preached on; had nothing to do with what their right. problem was. But it just is something about the Word of God that was that was really, really powerful. Uh, I, I, I guess if I had one th- one thing from the other section about what I would do differently is, uh, I would uh, have less fear. Mm. Uh, when I, when I first started, things were happening so fast, and I got opportunities that. I could not imagine uh, Phil Donahue show called. We we had a big day uh, raising a million dollars in one day, and because we're going in a building program, and that was churches weren't doing that kind of thing then, and so somehow uh, USA Today got a hold of it and had a big front page article. Of, and it was, the article was entitled <laughs> "Raising Big Bucks for Churches." And I mean the people here had sacrificed and it was a wonderful experience because they knew that we needed to relocate mm-hmm. if we're going to continue to grow. Well, Phil Donahue, who would be the Bill Maher of, of that era, called and wanted me to come on the his show and talk about raising big bucks for churches. But he warned me in advance there's going to be some antagonism about it. And I mean, my heart sank. I mean, here's this guy who was afraid to read in front of 30 people in high school. And all of a sudden, I'm asked to be on television in front of millions. Right. And I, I went uh, to our elders and I said, do you think I ought to go or not? And thankfully, they said, don't go. <laughs> so I called back said, uh, because they, they, they thought that it would, it would down, uh, degrade the uh, sacrifice that people had made. But there were other opportunities that came and I began to accept them. And each time I accepted an opportunity for a radio program or a speaking engagement that would really stretch me, I was able to get through it Mm -hmm. and that that God did immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine. But I still had too much apprehension and not enough faith. And uh, I, I think if I could go back and do it again, I would enjoy what was happening to me rather than being so apprehensive and so tense at home with my wife and uh I, I would i would have enjoyed the journey a lot more than i would have feared the journey
1: as i look back on my career that is honestly one of the same things i say i wish i would have just enjoyed it Soaked more it up. i wish i wouldn't have worried so much if another contract was coming or if i was going to get hurt that year or if i was going to play well and just enjoy the moment and one bad play here and there who cares just mm-hmm. enjoy the moment enjoy the ride and i actually did do that towards the end of my career you know it, it came a point in year 6 or 7 where i just started having so much gratitude with each day of being able to be in an nfl facility and i loved my role within the team i was you know when you get older in the nfl and we hired some younger coaches over the years well you end up almost being better friends with the coaches and their yeah. wives cuz they're about the That's same age as you are and so you know towards the end i just had such a great relationship with the front office and the coaches and I, I, I've i talked about it on the podcast before, but every morning on my way into the stadium was only about a five minute ride, but I would go in completely silent every morning and I called it my gratitude drive and I would just, I would see the stadium lights and, and our practice facility is at the stadium. So I'd pull up to the stadium and I would just think every day like, man, I'm living out a dream that That's I didn't great. even know was possible. I'm a captain on this team and I would just literally be soaked in gratitude. By the time I walked in the door, people would be like, how much did you sleep last night at 6 a.m what's your deal and I would always I would always try and encourage other guys to do the same because the season gets long and the days in Buffalo are gray and we didn't win a ton of games up there but you know the the gratification that I had towards the end of my career I wish I had my entire career it took you a little while to get there it did for sure
0: I can remember we had a leadership conference and the leadership conference we had Several thousand people coming to see what was happening to learn here. And I've got to get up and speak in front of these people on Friday night. Then on Saturday, I've got two workshops and another speaking engagement. Then I'm speaking for the weekend. And I mean, I'm feeling pressure. And I come down and hear these masses of people sitting in the seats getting ready. And they're excited. And I'm just tense. Do I have anything to say to these people? Is going to help them? And a young preacher came up to me and looked around the building. He looked at me and said, you're the luckiest preacher in the world. And I wanted to smack him. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? He was right. And I was so focused and tense that I forgot that. Right. And I, I think the Lord kind of sends some people once in a while or some experiences to remind how blessed you really are. Mm-hmm.
1: Me and my wife often with two young kids in the house, it'll be a bad night of sleep or you know a whining child and all this and that and, and it's kind of the same deal you can kind of get caught up in the moment yeah. and not realize how blessed you are and how many answer prayers two healthy yeah. kids are and, and everything we've been blessed with but recently i listened to a sermon you did on the northview church podcast on living a purposeful life and you talked about in retirement you still need to chase after accomplishments what does that look like on a day-to-day basis for you now
0: I listed four or five things that I wanted to do in retirement, and down at the bottom of the list was I wanted to do some uh, retreats for preachers, to be an encouragement to preachers because so many times preachers have nobody to go to, and they really get beat down. And But I, I decided I'm going to limit these retreats to eight because they're all kind of big conferences that preachers can go to, but I wanted to do one that was going to be interactive, and uh, they could Get their own issues confronted. So I started to do these retreats once a month and they became so beneficial and it was so gratifying to me. I have done a hundred of these retreats. Wow. A hundred. If you told me I'd do a hundred of these retreats and they'd never get boring. I'd never dread them. I would not believe that. But it's kind of a sweet spot of mine, and my age gives me some credibility with these guys. They can ask me situations. We got we got a guy coming in this afternoon, he and his wife. He wants to talk about, he's getting ready to retire. He wants to talk about the very thing we're talking about today. We said, oh, come on to stay. spend the night with us. And so they're going to spend the night, we'll go out to eat, and, and uh, we'll get to boost up preachers. Or they are email me with problems. So that's what. Uh, my primary focus has been, but I write a, I write a blog every week. It get, I'm not writing sermons very much, so it gives me a chance to vent on some things that I want to vent about. But I also travel and preach. I actually, Eric, I, I preach more now than I ever did when I was at Southeast Christian Church. Really? A lot more. I go out on Friday and do a leadership conference and then... Uh, preach on Sunday. I just don't have to write as many new talks. You know, you get, you can you get, recycle them. You get a different audience. and You don't have to keep writing new talks. But uh, I, I I really enjoy doing that as well.
1: When you do these talks in other places, will you be weary about letting them put your stuff on a podcast so that you can keep using those same talks? You know, I
0: haven't. And if every once in a while somebody say, I, I heard that talk and I said, well, I'm, I'm honored by that, and and a lot of times people say I, I heard I heard it differently this time, but I I I'll occasionally be given assignments, and I'll, I'll I have twenty or thirty talks that I can give, so I'm not always given the same one, but I don't get offended if somebody's heard it before.
1: Well, and and I was going to say, my advice would be to not let that happen because recently Dave Stone's been doing some different stuff, and and, and I'm. I've gotten into the podcast of of searching out different sermons so I could knock them out in the morning. In two things, one, when you hear a sermon a second time, it probably hits you a different way because you're at a different stage of life, and two, it, you pick it up and it, it's almost like reading something a second time. It just it just regurgitates a little bit better and it hits you a little bit different, uh, differently. And and if you there's so many people that nowadays that use those podcasts if they if they miss the sermon on Sunday, and I would hate for someone in a city to miss Bob Russell
0: speak and then not get the opportunity to hear him afterwards. Social media is a, a, a great advantage, but it can also be a detriment if, if, if people tease you about having heard. But I sat down last night for about half hour and watched a big segment of uh, the fugitive on TV. How many times I've seen that movie? I don't know, right. but I go in and I, I just like the way it's put together. I, I still see some things I didn't see before, so I don't get offended if somebody said I've already heard a sermon.
1: Okay. Good deal. So along those same lines throughout that sermon on living a purposeful life, everyone nowadays is trying to find their calling or their purpose. And it's become this hot topic where there's so many books about finding your calling. Do you have specific advice for people of of any age really, but but people in transition that are thinking, okay, well how do I now find my calling or what's my purpose?
0: Okay. I'm going to be a little bit different about that. I, I, I think, we don't need to be worried about our purpose. God will take care of our purpose. Just do what's at hand Mm -hmm. and do it well. Do your duty. Uh, Sometimes I think the way I tell people, the way you tell the Lord you love him is that when you don't feel like getting out of bed, you get out of bed, you put your feet on the floor and you go about what the assignment is that day to the best of your ability and let the Lord take care of the purpose. Uh, I, I think people sit around worrying about uh what why they're here and what god's got in store for them, and there's some people like me that have one purpose their whole life, and that is i'm I'm supposed to be a preacher i mean I, that obviously that turned out the way uh, I think the Lord intended I've got an older sister who's brilliant, and she has served as a school teacher, she served as a director of a why. She served as a registrar on the staff of a college. She served as a director of a nursing home. And then she spent the last 10 years of her life working on an assembly line at Pittsburgh Plate Glass. And she was a good influence there. She said to me, you know, Bob, I think some, some people like you have one purpose, but there are other people like me who are utility players, and God plugs them into different roles. I love it. And rather than sitting around worrying about what your purpose is, whatever you just do what is at hand. Walk through the doors that are opening for you and let God take care of the purpose. And a lot of times we wind up doing things we never intended on doing and because God opens up those doors. But I, I just, uh, I don't think we sit back and I, I I'm I don't think God has your soul. Mate for you for marriage. Uh, and, and, well, I'm married the wrong person. I got to go out and find my soulmate. No, be faithful where you are, and and bring some romance into what you what you've got at hand.
1: I love it. That's that's incredible advice. I, I read you wrote the best period of life is when the kids are grown, the bills are paid, and the dog is dead. <laughs> I would assume this chapter of your life is going well. Then
0: I have had the greatest period of my life, since I was uh, from 62 to 75, what I am right now, and I've enjoyed every period of my life. I really have. But this has been the best, because when you talked earlier about being joyful, I am more joyful now than I've ever been in life. I feel less stress and pressure, and I uh, am less competitive, in in a way, and it's a good way. You know, I think one of the things that happens to those of us who are ambitious and competitive, uh, there are two things that take away your happiness quicker than anything. One is unrealistic expectations. And the second is unfair comparisons. And, you know, I'm not in competition with anybody. I tell a story about, I wrote a book about Southeast Christian Church about 19 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was called When God Builds a Church. And the book did pretty well in comparison with most Christian books. But one day as I was on vacation, I saw a headline in USA Today that said, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church sells six million copies. Right. And all of a sudden, my heart sank. I thought, six million copies? Man, if he got a dollar a book, that's that's six million dollars. My church is just as big as his. My book's half as good. Lord, I'd take three million dollars. Then all of a sudden, how silly that was. You know? If, if God chooses to bless the ministry of Rick Warren in an exceptional way, what should that be to me? God did so much more in my life than I ever imagined. But, you know, all of a sudden my ambition, my ego comes out, and I'm, I'm making myself miserable because somebody has it better. Somebody has more. And the truth is I wouldn't want his scrutiny. I wouldn't want his pressure. I wouldn't want some of the struggles he's gone through. And God's been so good to me. I just need to learn to be thankful. I
1: agree with everything you just said. The the times of my life where I can't find contentment are generally when I'm comparing myself, comparing my career to somebody else's, comparing my possessions, comparing my appearance, which is very easy to do nowadays in social media, in the day and age of social media because you only see people's best, you know, and, and you get it in your face at a rapid fire. Usually you're, you know, in the past you would only be comparing your stuff and and everything else with the people that you interacted with well, now you have a national – you have anyone in the country you can compare yourself with at any time, and you're only getting their best. Yeah. And, and and at times I just have to be so cognizant of that because I can just quickly become so unappreciative of everything I've been blessed with. And, and, and if I think about it, I, I truly can grasp it and, and find contentment and peace. And, and there's times where I'll just – I just think, Eric, you're so silly. Why just, are you trying to compare yourself? I've
0: just seen a lot of people ruin their happiness <clears throat> because, you know, there's always somebody who appears to have it better. Somebody's making more money at the same job. Somebody whose wife is more attractive. Somebody whose kids are smarter, more athletic. Uh, and somebody who, who's getting more attention. Somebody's book is <laughs> getting more more sales. And you know what? If you got to be the lead dog... Uh, you're going to be miserable in life. So when you say, you know what? I'm pretty content. When Paul, the apostle Paul in the Bible said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I can right. do all things through Christ who strengthens me.
1: Right. And one of my favorite topics to speak on if I do it a chapel is a lot of athletes use the I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as a as a verse for them to say I can do anything on the field through Christ. Well, the scenario, the setup is I've found contentment, and it's about— Big difference. Yes. Yeah. It, it, you can isolate Bible verses and, and really kind of twist them and mean what you want, but if you use the full context, there's a touch different meaning, and
0: it, it, but it's great to look at it from both ends. And um, He said, I've learned to have a lot, and I've learned to have little. And for the athlete, I've learned to win, and I've learned to lose. I've learned to start, and I've learned to sit the bench, and I'm still content.
1: Right. I love that. Do you have specific advice for someone in my shoes who financially at 33 years old doesn't necessarily need to go find a job just to punch the clock, but truly wants to find challenge and passion in a career in that I I think me and my wife can both agree that I'm not going to be a stay-at-home dad. Do you have any advice for what's coming up next for me?
0: I had a guy your age tell me one time, he said, Bob, I, I've sold my business for $8 million. I don't have to work another day in my life. About three months later, he bought another business. He said, I don't need the money, but I need the job. And God has not designed us to sit back and do nothing and play golf every day. He, he's He's designed us to accomplish, to achieve. The Bible talks about we're made in the image of God, and God is a creator, God is a worker. He rested on the seventh day, but he's mm-hmm. doing something. And we are fulfilled as people when we feel like uh, we're making a significant contribution. I do think when you've got the place where you have enough resources that you need to be a wise steward and make sure that, like, unlike some athletes who made a lot of money, you don't squander it away. But it's really important that you change your goals. Say, my goal is not to be the richest guy in the world. I've, I've got enough of that to be content. My, my goal is I want to make a contribution to youth, or I want to make a contribution to those who are in need, or I, I want to make a, a significant contribution to the kingdom of God. Then you change your goal, and you, you, you shift the emphasis. And when you start doing that, then you say, okay, how can I reach that goal? And but uh, Bob Buford had the book Half Time, and you you change from success to significance. And that, to me, that's an important point.
1: That's great advice, and and that's something that took me a while to realize that I was missing in my life. Last year was a challenge, and and there was challenges, and but I wasn't looking at them right. And you know, I was trying to pursue a career in broadcasting, but I didn't look at it as 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 the specific challenge. To me, it was just. Well, a, a natural, you know, I was involved with sports, so maybe I'll give this a shot. And and now I'm taking a different approach, to where okay, I'm going to prepare like I prepared as a player. I want to be the, the best.
0: best broadcaster,
1: a- and be. and I don't know what that looks like. You know this this year, I want to be the best radio analyst for the Bills and the best Eric Wood version of ACC Network analyst that I can be, and. Each week, and I and I have truly written down goals for this fall already, to where I'm being a lot more intentional and not just kind of floating by life. And well, I'll play golf today, and you know, well, I guess I'll 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 kind of check in. Maybe I'll maybe I'll watch a football game later to see if I can pick something up from these announcers.
0: I've truly challenged myself, and um, that's when you're going to be fulfilled. But you're also recognizing where you have giftedness. You you get your, your passion and your giftedness and your ambition in this in a, those ducks in a row. You're saying, you know I I can speak. I, 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 I can analyze. I'm taking my past experience in football and my ability to speak and I'm, I'm have a whole new career here. And you'll get excited about that. And it'll be more important to you to be a good broadcaster than it was to be uh, an all-pro center.
1: For sure. And along those lines, um, so you mentioned that, you had this great fear of public speaking and you're afraid to read in front of 30 people and then you end up speaking in front of thousands every weekend and I'm sure it becomes more comfortable the more you do it and I don't necessarily have a fear of public speaking but as someone who would like to obviously get better as I go in public speaking what would what are some uh what is some advice that you would give me
0: Well, well first of all fear is a great motivator I'm saying if 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 you have no fear there's no courage you're just foolhardy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and so if fear motivates you to prepare, uh, then then that's a, that's a good motivator. And a little bit of nervousness helps you. But I, I, I think, I, I tell you what, I, I preached my sermons five times out loud every week, regardless of how often I had preached Because I know some of my weaknesses and there are some words I'm going to stumble over if I don't say them repeatedly and you're preparing for a broadcast and you're going to come across some names that are difficult to pronounce or maybe some phrases that you've got to say and I I picture myself when when I preached, I would stand up, I would have my notes in the very same spot that they would be when I was preaching rather than sitting down just being relaxed and I would envision that audience. And I would go over that sermon word for word. And by the time I got up to preach, I felt like I'd already been there five times.
1: That's great. I love that. And visual visualization is a powerful tool. And that is something I will truly take with me through this fall is putting myself in that moment Mm. and, and speaking it out loud. I have a question on time management for you. So, you know, you had, you have two boys, one is a preacher down in Florida now. One is a lieutenant here in town, an actor. He um, works out at our gym, so I see him most most mornings. And and, and you have a great relationship with them, um, still married to your wife. And, and from everything I've seen and heard, uh, an extremely healthy relationship. But all this time spent at the church, how were you able to manage all
0: that? You know, uh, uh, one Let me do two things there. First of all, the importance of learning to shift gears. It's not just uh, time that we spend with people, but can we shift gears and say, okay, I'm compartmentalizing my life. And I reached a point where I said, okay, I leave the church at 430 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's time. Lord, that's the best I can do. I got some letters I need to answer. I've got a little behind on my message. I'm going to get up early tomorrow, but that day's over. I'm going to go home and give attention to family and be focused. And I had an incident that, uh, the second thing that that really shocked me in in this, I got a phone call at home one night from my wife. And uh, I answered the phone so late that the answering machine kicked on and recorded my conversation. She called me to tell me she's going to come home late. And 10 minutes later, I looked, oh, the red light's on the phone. And I got a message here. And I listened. And I had to listen to my conversation with my wife. And I could not, Eric, I could not get over the deadness in my voice. Wow. And the the vitality in hers. And she said, Bob, you having a good day? Okay. Well, what are you doing? Reading newspaper. Uh, well, I just called to tell him I'm going to be a little late. We got hung up. I'll be about an hour late. Okay. Well, do you want me to bring something home? You want to go out to eat? Tonight? What do you want to do? Doesn't matter. Mm. And I had just read a book, with a chapter in it: "Are you fun to live with?" And I said, "I am not fun to live with. And if I die, I want Judy to shed at least one tear." <laughs> so, I knew in my heart, if that had been an average person in the church, I would have said, "You having a good? Yeah, really good. How's yours going?" What are you doing? I'm reading this article about L football. Have you read that? You ought to read it. Well, don't hurry home. Just just take your time. I don't want you to have an accident or something. But my wife, the person who means the most to me in life, was uh, I'm grunting at her. So I decided that's got to change. And uh, I I became a lot more intentional about when I come home, I've talked all day long. I'm I'm worn out. I want to lie on the couch with newspaper and just veg out and take a nap. But when I go through that door, I'm about to meet the people who are the most important person and persons in my life. A friend of mine pounds a nail in the door of his house between the garage and the house. He said people think it's there to hang a hat, but it's just there to remind me to hang all the junk that's happened to the course of the day and leave it so I can give attention to my family. So I I started uh, teasing my wife more, uh, snapping at her less, uh, being more energetic more focused listening better I still got a ways to go, and I'm 75 but I started doing better and our, our marriage has always been good but it took a, a, a significant step up because I learned to give focused attention the people we love the most deserve our best energy and uh, I, I, I do have a good relationship with my sons and I don't think they would ever say dad was preoccupied or church came first. Uh, they knew that they mattered to me more than anybody in the church.
1: That's incredible advice and, and something I will take to heart. And, and on self reflection, I've, I've noticed the same thing in my life. I, you know, we own a gym here in town, and I'm always up there trying to uplift the employees. And you know, I'll give everyone the time of day because I want them to come back. And you know, at our men's group at church, you know, if I'm uh, if I'm leading a group of 25, you're guys, energetic. I gotta, you know, I'm intentional with them. I'll mm. follow up with them on something, and then you know i'll just it's so easily you can you can cheat your wife and your family out of time and energy because you feel like you can although you shouldn't and and eventually it'll catch up and luckily i've had some people give me very similar messages and it's just so it's so valuable to hear and uh man it, it truly is happy wife happy life and, <laughs> and you don't you don't notice that unless it yeah. unless you're reaping the benefits of it
0: well, so uh, my son gave me a really nice compliment not very long ago. Uh, first of all, I have the wonderful wife. She's she's like Jesus. She's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, <laughs> which I need because I'm up and down, so he's steady. But my son said to me, "Hey, Dad, I've noticed you're a lot more patient with Mom. You're you're a lot more gentle than you than than you used to be." And I regret that there were some times early when he was little that I would snap at my wife or or hurry up, you know, and not patient with her. But if the fruit of the spirit is growing in her life, fruit ought to enlarge and uh, enlarge and ought to ripen with the passing of time. And as we get older, we ought to be more patient, more gentle, more joyful, more, uh, more like the Lord.
1: Absolutely. What would you say is your top quality for a leader to possess?
0: Well, I think everybody is going to say the same thing. I I, I think integrity. Every time I hired somebody for talent over integrity, it burned me. You get by with it for a little while. But if you're not doing with somebody who's honest and truthful and dependable, they're not going to lead over a period of time. We're talking about leadership over a period of time rather than a flash in the pan. Uh, So integrity... Uh, Ted Ingstrom said, "Integrity is doing what you say you're going to do, and it's showing up on time, and it's following through with your promises, and being dependable. Uh, competency is really important too. We sometimes right. forget that. Uh, just because a person's honest, that doesn't mean <laughs> right. they, they play center for the Buffalo Bills. You know, <laughs> you, you better have some competency there, uh, and, and the ability to inspire." Mm-hmm. Uh, to to there there are people you put in a position of leadership, but that make them a leader. Right? It, it's it's a it's a gift. You can give me a guitar and tell me I'm the worship leader. but I'm not the worship leader. And you can give somebody a title and say you're now a leader. That doesn't make them a leader. There's got to be some giftedness there. The ability to inspire. You ask me for one quality, and I'm giving you four. No, it, it, <laughs> and
1: and I assumed I I would get more than one. It's tough to pinpoint one.
0: But to be able to cast a vision to be able to to be perceptive like Gretzky once said what made him such a good hockey player i skate to where the puck is going to be and uh, i'm sure from playing football you you, you anticipate what's coming next you you, right. you 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 can see on the field what's going to happen before it happens and i think that's a essential quality for a good leader is is to be able to skate where the puck is going to be to anticipate okay this this is what's going to happen i'm going to either avoid it or i'm going to encourage it i'm going to prepare for it
1: that's great what would you say looking back was the most difficult part of being the head pastor of a mega church because there's so many people that you know like we mentioned earlier see it and they don't understand the time commitments and the weddings and the funerals and the church, the hospital visits, and and all that comes into it.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, the, 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 two things come to mind. One is to know what to cut out, because as a as a business, as a church, anything expands. If you if you're still doing the same thing that you did when it was half that size, you, you, you're you're going to be exhausted and you're not going to be effective. So you have got to determine what the priorities are and then. <clears throat> and be willing to cut out and uh to say that's not my job anymore I can't <clears throat> spend time doing that but the the surprising hard thing about being the preacher of a mega church uh is dealing with the staff really you you got people who are have a high calling but they're imperfect people just like I am mm-hmm. and if you have a staff of 300 400 people and 10% are troubles, <clears throat> you're dealing with a lot of troubles. Right. And uh, it's not the congregation that uh, creates most of the stress. It's the staff.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. And you talked about cutting st- stuff out in your time. You know, recently I spoke to someone who gave me some advice on not committing to things too far out in advance. Because even if it's, let's say it's a, a B plus you know, on your ranking scale, but you commit to it, there could potentially be an A or an A-plus coming. Yeah. And I know it's a, a little shift of uh, exactly what you were talking about, but for me and, and guys that are transitioning out of out of sports, out of business, into retirement, whatever it may be, you think you have all this time on your hands, but it's incredible how, how quickly yeah. you can fill a schedule.
0: Well, the ability to say no. Uh, I'm a people pleaser. Most people, we want to please people. But the ability to say that's not in the area of my giftedness. When I retired, the first thing I said, I am not going to serve on any boards. I don't like meetings. I'm not really good at it. So as soon as somebody said, would you serve on my board? I'd say, no, I've made a, a decision. I'm going to serve on anybody's board, and I'm going to have to apologize to people. I had a friend who was a doctor, an anesthesiologist. He's the neatest guy, Dr. Russell Summy. I asked him one day, I said, Russ, I'm, I'm going up to Indianapolis to speak tonight. Would you like to ride up with me? He said, no. <laughs> he didn't give me any excuse. Right. He didn't say I've got to stay home and rearrange my sock drawer. <clears throat> he said, and you know, I wasn't offended. He just said, no. That didn't hurt our friendship. And I thought, I need to be more like that. I need to be able to be decisive and at times say, no, that's not. Where, in the area of my this that's really not what I'd want to do.
1: For sure. And, and I'm the same way. I'm a people pleaser. I, I commit to so much, and then I always feel absolutely awful <laughs> if I end up having, uh, after the fact to go back and cancel. And, and letting your yes be yes and your no be no is something that I, I truly need to continue to improve at. And uh, we, we spoke earlier. You love to play golf, so do I. We actually ran into each other on a course recently What's your favorite golf course that you've ever played?
0: I got to play Augusta. <clears throat> wow. And uh, that was uh, a thrill. <clears throat> but, Eric, if you asked me what would be your most fun of playing golf, I can go with three strangers and play Augusta. Or I can go with three friends and play uh, a public course. I would choose today to go with my three friends and play a public course. That's because you played Augusta. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something about the people you play with. That's more important. Now, if I'd never played Augusta, right. <clears throat> I would say the one time I'm going to go play Augusta, but as bad a golfer as I am, I got to play Augusta. And that was, that was a tremendous thrill.
1: That's special. I, I, would love to one day play. I I went to the Masters a couple of years ago, brought my father in law. We had an absolute blast and now I I have the absolute biggest itch to try and get on well, there. I bet one you day. do
0: as well as you play. I bet I bet you want to play in the worst way.
1: I do, but <clears throat> but we'll see. Hopefully one day. But uh if any of the listeners right now have <laughs> I, I am available, I am in. Um that is an A plus engagement, it will be on my books immediately. Let me tell you
0: how I got to play Augusta. I had a guy Called me from columbus ohio and he said bob i have been listening to you preach on the radio and i've just really benefited from your messages and there are three of us who get to go i can't explain how but once a year we get to go play augusta four of us but a guy has dropped out this year would you come and play with us i said oh i'd love to do that but I looked at my calendar, and I was scheduled to give the commencement address for a small Christian school that had nine graduates on that oh. day. And I'd already chosen to announce my subject was integrity. Oh. <laughs> so I told the guy I couldn't go. And I used it as a sermon illustration, the this big sacrifice that I'd made. Right, right. And a guy came. He felt so sorry for me. A guy came and said, look, uh, I'm going to take you to play Augusta. And that's how I got. I I whined and cried about having to sacrifice, and somebody offered for me to go, and it was that was a thrill.
1: Well, that's incredible. I'm I'm glad you had the opportunity to do it. That that is truly special, and for a big golf fan, that is the absolute mecca. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Um, so each week we do these recurring questions. It's fun to compare answers. These can be as short or as long of an answer as you want them to be. If all jobs in America paid the same, what would you do for a living?
0: I I would be a a preacher. Uh, I've loved doing that. But if I had everything I paid the same, I I would be a baseball announcer. That's cool. What's your favorite book besides the Bible? Uh, uh, I have a book, Born Again, by Chuck Colson, that's meant an awful lot to me over the years. Uh, my, My favorite book is always the last one I'm reading and uh, i'm reading a book right now by michael medved on the uh, miracle of america and it just amazes me that the hand of god was on the beginning of this country and now we want to say that america is not exceptional but th- uh, i'll tell you what when you read some of the history of america you realize the, the, the providence of god was strong in the beginning of this country i'll have to
1: check both those out i i, I enjoy a good book and i'll i'll definitely do that if you knew the listeners would do anything you tell them to do right now, what is one thing you would tell
0: people to do? I, I being a preacher and believing at the core of my being that uh, salvation has come through Jesus Christ, I would encourage people to study the, the Gospel of Luke and uh, evaluate who Jesus is, and draw a conclusion, did Jesus Christ raise from the dead? If Jesus Christ came back from the grave, and that's true, that means that he is Lord of all. Right. And that his word is true. And if you conclude that, then everything else falls into place. Uh, It's kind of like when you button your vest, you get the top button off, every button after that's off. You get the top button right, everything falls into place. So I would earnestly, with everything in my being, encourage people to read about the life of Jesus Christ and make a decision about his resurrection. Beautifully said.
1: What has been the most exciting part of this new chapter of your life?
0: Well, without a doubt, it's very rewarding to me to know that I'm helping Preachers. That I understand the things that they go through, the struggles, the joys, the pressures, the temptations, and to have preachers come to me and say, I would have dropped out of ministry had I not come to your retreat. Wow. Or that retreat came at a time and here's what's happened since then. That's been really rewarding. That's great.
1: What is your favorite restaurant in Louisville? Roost Chris. That's this is absolutely terrible, but that's my Three-year-old daughter's favorite restaurant too, but <laughs> she's got expensive taste. But <clears throat> and, and that's a that's a special occasion spot in our family. But her favorite food there is the bread and butter. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> so her birthday is. Oh, uh, that's one. You're gonna take her to Ruth's, Chris? Yep.
0: get her all the bread and butter she can eat. I know it. it, Bread and
1: butter and a kid's meal will be out the door with a light check.
0: It's amazing what little children do to us.
1: (laughs) I know it is, and and we pass it on our way to her preschool. So she sees the big building, and I'm sure she recognizes. I'm sure that has half the reason that that's her favorite restaurant. What was your first car?
0: My first car was a '56 Ford Fairlane, blue and white. With a little bit of rust on the back fender.
1: Nice. Very nice. Who's the most famous person in your phone?
0: Probably Mitch McConnell. That's a good one.
1: What was your first job?
0: My first job was working in a nursery uh, hoeing uh, weeds. And the weeds were knee high. And I got 80 cents an hour.
1: Was that minimum wage then? <laughs> I don't think so.
0: <laughs> but you you want to learn about work you you try to hoe weeds for eight hours a day oh. in the nursery at fifteen years of age.
1: When I was fifteen, I was working at a cemetery cutting grass forty hours a week and trimming around headstones, and I can uh, I can tell you that wasn't very fun either.
0: But you learn about what life is about, and you see those guys out there mowing the grass or cutting chopping at weeds a day. And you realize how blessed you are.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I always get a kick out of when my wife or my daughter, because one of my buddies cuts our grass now. I and, and I just want to help out his local business. But my wife will be like, could you even do that? I'm like, babe, I've cut so much grass in my life. For two years I worked at a cemetery, and all I did was cut grass for 40 hours a week. I choose not to cut grass, but I, <laughs> I, I assure you I can cut the grass if I needed to. What's your favorite movie?
0: Without a without a question, Hoosiers. I love it. That you know, that was the era that I played basketball, and uh, I played in some of those gyms about that size, and I can almost I mean, superimpose a name of a fan or a coach, or a player on everybody in that movie. I just I I, I can't watch it without almost tearing up every time.
1: That's incredible. Bob, I can't thank you enough for your time today. Um, I know how many directions you still get pulled in, and uh, for you to take this time to pour into me, to pour into all these listeners, um, I know it'll be extremely beneficial for everyone to have heard this and, and all of the lessons and advice you gave. Where can people keep up with you on social media, and what is the website for your blog? The
0: website is uh, just simply BobRussell.org, and my blog comes up okay. to that, and I, appreciate it if they'd read that. That'd be, that'd be great. But let me say to you, Eric, how really proud I am of you. I, I watched you play in college and develop, but to see you mature as a person and it. to have the kind of Christian testimony that you have in this community and the respect that people have for you and your walk uh, it's been amazing. Any, no, I started to say anybody can play football, but a lot of people can play football. Mm-hmm. But not everybody can gain the kind of respect that you've gained through athletics and then use it as a platform to motivate young people and older people alike to improve their life, and you have. And I'm really, really uh, proud of what you've done. I, I truly appreciate that, Bob. Thank you very much for being on. Glad to.
1: Throughout my NFL career, I worked with many custom clothing companies. Guys would come from around the country and set up shop in our facility and try and sell us clothes, and no one has compared to someone I work with locally in Louisville, Jordan Yoakum with Tom James. He is an expert concierge that can save you time. You know, I don't even have a full-time job right now, and it's hard for me to go to the mall and pick out clothes or to order something online, and it generally doesn't fit, and then I either got to go get it tailored or me and my wife got to go send it back. Put an end to that. Jordan works within a 100-mile radius of Louisville, Kentucky, and he will come to you with the clothes, and it's great. You can contact Jordan at j.yocum at tomjames.com or visit the website tomjames.com for more info. Let Jordan create a game plan with you for your wardrobe, just like we did preparing for NFL defenses, but instead of attacking defenses, you'll be attacking your next business meeting, wedding, or derby event in style. That's j.yocum, Y-O-C-U-M, at tomjames.com. And when you contact Jordan, make sure you tell him Eric Wood sent you. Thank you for listening to What's Next with Eric Wood presented by Green Remedy. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate it five stars and subscribe. That goes a long way for us with this podcast. Tune in in a couple weeks for another new episode.